0: Thank you for listening to the FBH Podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. Yeah, that's a lot of moving parts this morning. So thanks for hanging in there. Uh, we've had a great time with music, um, and now we want to look into God's word a little bit. And so, um, yeah, thanks for hanging in there. Uh, We're obviously, we've been working through the Gospel of Mark. We're up to chapter 5. If you want to find your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to land uh, this morning. But just kind of as a recap, what we're looking at here in the Gospel of Mark is we've been seeing uh, Jesus uh, show up on the scene, kind of uh, beginning to uh, reveal himself as who he is, as the divine uh, Son of God, Savior of the world. And so he's done that through... Uh, Demonstrating his power over over nature. He's demonstrated his power over uh, the supernatural realm with uh, demons. He's uh, demonstrated his power over physical illness. Uh, So all of this has uh, shown his incredible uh, power. He's revealed himself through others. Uh, Even the demons as they're being cast out are recognizing Jesus for who he is and, and say so. People are beginning to rumble about uh, who is this jesus what he's what is he up to and so they're beginning to talk, so his revelation is coming through what other people are saying, and then ultimately uh, he is also confronting the re- religious elite and beginning to kind of reshape what real religion or real christ likeness should look like and so all of that has is playing into the fact that he's he's revealing uh the kingdom of God come. Uh, to earth uh, through this person. And so it's an incredible thing to see happening. And as it continues to unfold in front of us uh, this morning, we'll recognize that in many ways when we see God revealing himself, it it very rarely does it fit exactly what we think it should. Let's just put it that way. We have expectations about how we think God should operate. And God makes it clear that he's going to do things uh, the way that they should be done, and that, doesn't al- that they don't always match up. Anyway, um, but before we jump into that, want one of the key uh, threads that's going to run through the message this morning is this idea of desperation, and I just want to make it clear. Desperation comes in, in many ways, in, in many shapes, and sometimes desperation is uh, incredibly difficult. Other times it's more uh, temporary, and so I want to give you an example of that. Uh, we take an annual trip to Mexico uh, every year. Many of you maybe have had the, the privilege of being with us as a part of that trip to Mexico and back. It's, it always is a great adventure. One of the great adventures, of course, if you've ever been to Mexico is, especially if you've ever driven to Mexico, is driving back into the United States from Mexico. There is always quite a line of people uh, trying to get back into the United States, and it can take quite a while. I'm always very disciplined. And make sure when we leave San Vicente uh, where we do our ministry, I uh, always am very careful to find a restroom uh, before we leave. Because I know I'm going to be in the car for a long time. A few years ago, I don't know exactly what happened. But uh, we got to Tijuana. We're getting ready to cross the border. And the line is exceptionally long. And we're waiting in line. And it's becoming clear to me that uh, I'm running into some issues that I'm going to need to find a restroom soon. And so at first it's not a big deal. It will be all right. You know, I'm a, I'm a pro at this. I, I don't want to be that guy that, you know, is causing the problems or whatever. But the longer we sit in line and the longer we're waiting, uh, we're, I, I, can, I can see the border up there, but it's taking a long time. And finally, I think it was Jeremy Blue, it might have been Ray Mueller sitting in the car with me because I'm driving one of the cars. And I finally, we stopped as we're itch, itching our way towards the border. And I finally told Jeremy, listen, I got to get out of the car and go find a restroom. So switch seats with me. So he jumps in and, and drives. And fortunately, there in the shop, shop area there, there is a restroom there. And I just want to say this. It was the best 50 cents I ever spent in my life <laughs> to use that restroom. I was desperate. Okay. I was desperate. Now listen, uh, desperation can look like that. But it can also look pretty serious, right? I mean, as I was reflecting on this, I thought a little bit about just the ideas in our world right now, the idea of uh, people that are refugees that have been displaced out of their country into another, a whole other environment, a whole other culture. That's pretty desperate, even what leads to that. I wanted to share just a couple quick stories that I found as I was kind of thinking about this. Here's one of them. Uh, a sim will never forget that day when the shells were raining down on her family's home in Houta, Syria. My daughter was looking for a place to hide, but she fell uh, and hit her head on a rock and since then has been suffering from epilepsy. That was the final straw, we just had to move. Fearful for her children, she fled to Jordan while her husband stayed in Syria. She now lives alone with her five children in a small apartment in Jordan. And her heart breaks every time she sees her 13-year-old son as he leaves for work. 13-year-olds. Here's another one. In a sprawling settlement of mud brick huts in western Afghanistan, housing people displaced by drought and war, a woman is fighting to find and save her daughter. Aziz Ghul's husband sold their 10-year-old daughter into marriage without telling her. Taking a down payment so he could feed his family of five children otherwise he told her they would all starve he had to sacrifice one to save the rest so when you think about that there's there's desperation like i experienced in my story but then there's like real desperation right people that are making forced to make just huge difficult decisions or are faced with life and death kind of desperation and and i recognize even if even this morning as we sit here there's people that sit here this morning that are experiencing a, a level of desperation. It, it might be a marriage that's crumbling. It might be a family situation that you're just fearful or anxious about. It could be that you've received a diagnosis that has totally uh, changed uh, you, your physical outlook or your emotional outlook. And you're struggling. You're, you're at, you, there's a level of desperation in your life that you, you're not sure what is next. It might be financial, that you're just being choked by finances. We each have dealt with or will deal with desperation at some point. And when we experience these circumstances, one of the things that probably comes to our mind is like, where's God in this? Where is God in even as we look at refugee situations or things that are happening around the world? It's very easy to say, well, where exactly does, where does God fit into this? Because if God is who he says he is, why do these things happen? Why am I experiencing this level of desperation? I'm trying to be obedient to what God's asking me to do. Where does God show up? And we're going to see that in, in this story today. And one of the things we're, we're going to see is it impacts people regardless of your bank account or your, uh, where you live. Desperation happens. It's part of what happens in life. But I want us to see this. That when we when the crisis comes, when that desperation comes, and when you come to the end of yourself and your resources and your ability, you can turn to Jesus. That's something that's never going to go away or disappear. You can hold on tightly to that. So as we begin to, to look at this story today, let me just go back to what Pastor Peter did last week. We were in the first half of Mark chapter 5, and you may recall that That Jesus was on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the the Gentile uh, side of the the lake. And he had encountered a man who was demon possessed. He cast those demons out of that man into the pigs. They ran down the hill, if you recall, into the lake or into the sea and they they died. And and the the story ends with the people from the community coming to see what had happened. This great man had had, uh, healed the demon possessed man. But the very first thing that they asked Jesus to do is leave. We need you to leave. And so Jesus has come back over to the west side of the Sea of Galilee, and that's where we pick up the story this morning. So Mark chapter 5, beginning at verse 21, read it along with me. It says this, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly, earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see all these people crowding around you, against you, the disciples answered, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened happened to her, came and fell at his feet. And trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, And John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he had put them all out, he took the the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this point, at this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Now, I love this story. There's a number of reasons why I love this story. But one particular reason for me is I feel like, Bible stories like this are very easy to just take a step back and just drop yourself right in the midst of it. You could put yourself in the crowd here and watch this story unfold and it would be incredible. You might be able to even fill in some between the lines as you're watching the story in your own mind unfold. And you can even think about how you would respond or even if you were one of the characters in the story how you would respond uh, to what you saw. So it's a great story in that sense because we can really get a sense of, of what happens when Jesus uh, shows up. And so what I'd like to do this morning is make just some basic observations as I've been uh, looking through this passage that I think will be helpful uh, for us. The first uh, observation for me is that when Jesus shows up, it's disruptive. Last week uh, in his message, Pastor Peter said that when Jesus shows up, things change. Lives are transformed, which is absolutely uh, correct. That's what Jesus is all about, is life transformation. And I really believe that life transformation starts with disruption. Something's got to change, and that that change can be disruptive. And so when we look in the New Testament, and in particular, as we're looking through the the book of Mark, we can see that when Jesus shows up, it's disruptive. It's disruptive uh, personally. People's lives get uh, changed. It's disruptive to the community. As we saw in last week's story, that was a pretty major disruption with 2,000 pigs down into the lake and the the community coming out to to see what had happened. That's a major disruption to the community. There was religious disruption. He's been confronting the religious leaders, confronting what is clean, what is unclean. He's been uh, confronting what is culturally valued, what is personally valued. Everything that Jesus speaks to Became a disruption to the lives. The religious leaders are at the point where they're ready to get rid of Jesus altogether because of everything how he how he teaches, what he's teaching about, how he's confronting what's going on around them. And so, I just wanted to to make a quick side note here for us, as the body of Christ, as the church, we are the presence of Jesus in the world. This is part. This is our great responsibility: is to be the presence of Jesus Christ in the world. So, our presence in the world. Ought to be disruptive. And so I would suggest that if you find yourself living, acting, valuing, falling along, and, and your life looks exactly like the world around us, we need, to, we need to check ourselves and say, hey, what we are about as Christians is we are the presence of Jesus in the world and it's going to be disruptive. Now, Jesus did it full of grace, Jesus did it full of truth, and we need to do exactly the same thing, but our presence in the world should be disruptive because when Jesus shows up, it's disruptive. Jesus wasn't bound by anyone's expectations. Uh, in fact, uh, he was all about carrying out what his father in heaven had asked him to do. So he wasn't, he wasn't really concerned so much about what people thought except his father in heaven who had given him uh, a mission uh, in the world. So when Jesus shows up, it's disruptive. Second observation is that desperation is Real. Even if we jump back into the first half of Mark chapter 5, this demon-possessed man was desperate. When Jesus got out of the boat in the first half of Mark 5, this man came running up and was on his knees before Jesus. This man was desperate. When we come to, to our passage for today, our two uh, characters, Jairus and this woman were desperate. We see things like they pleaded. They begged, even in the first half of the chapter, they were, this man was begging Jesus, pleading. The people of the community, even in their desperation to get Jesus out of there, pleaded with him to leave. But let's look at these two from our passage today, Jairus and this woman. These two couldn't be more different from one another. Jairus, first of all, was a man, and, this, and the, the woman obviously was a woman. That in itself... was a a huge difference in first century New Testament uh, Palestine. It was a a huge difference. Women were at a distinct disadvantage to men. Jairus, we have his name, right? We know who he is. This woman, we don't even get her name. Jairus was powerful and influential. He was a, a leader in the synagogue. This woman was an outcast. Jairus likely was well off. He had a house. He was a leader in the community. This woman was poor. Scripture says she spent everything she had on the issue that she was struggling with. Jairus was a good Jewish man. He was clean. This woman, because of her bleeding issue, was unclean for the last 12 years. Unclean. So they were completely different, yet they were absolutely similar in their desperation for Jesus. In fact, they both in this story find themselves on their knees in front of Jesus. A reminder that it doesn't matter your station in life. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. It doesn't matter where you live. Desperation equals the playing field. We all find ourselves at one time or another desperate for the help of Jesus. So Jairus's desperation, let's think about that for a second. Here he is, a parent... Imagine some of you, and, and uh, my heart breaks because I, I can imagine some of you have maybe even lived this yourself. But to, to imagine a parent uh, having a child that you watch get sick, sicker and sicker, and, and recognizes, recognize where it was heading. Probably had sought doctors as well and, and realized that it was going to end uh, with, with, her, uh, with her, her, his daughter dying knowing that there was nothing he could do. He was a religious leader in the community. Probably he had been praying for this. He had been praying for something to happen. Did not not have any, seemed to have any uh, reaction from God. Nothing had changed. He may have been doubting his faith. He certainly was part of a group that had already, uh, a lot of the religious leaders of that time had already decided Jesus had to go. We need to get rid of him. So Jairus is in a, in a risky spot because he's recognizing that there's something special about Jesus, but yet he knows that it's, it's a risk for him to go and to uh, come before Jesus in this circumstance. He was desperate. The bleeding woman was desperate. For the last 12 years she had been struggling with this issue. The Bible says that she had sought doctor after doctor, spent every, every cent that she had to try to get well and nothing had worked. In fact, it, it says she was worse off than before. she was humiliated, she was embarrassed she was unclean so she her her faith community she could not uh, interact with her faith community because of her issues so she was excluded uh, from the community she was desperate desperate enough that she was uh, willing to take the risk because for her to approach, in, even go into the crowd and to touch Jesus was going to make him unclean because of her uncleanness. She was willing to take that risk. That risk. So let's step out of that for a moment and recognize that each of us in our own way uh, may have found ourselves in a position like this. I mean, maybe, as I said earlier, maybe even this morning you find yourself in a, in a desperate uh, situation where you've come to the end of yourself, your ability To navigate it to make it happen uh, you feel powerless that desperation uh, is real it could be that you're a parent or a grandparent that's just reflecting on this world and you're fearful for your kids for your grandkids like what is this world gonna look like for them it could be a sin that you just can't seem to shake you try and try you white-knuckle it you're working hard you try to do the best you can to be a good person but you can't seem to shake that sin Could be an addiction that you have in your life that has control over you, and you just can't seem to get out from underneath it. We know this because we observe it in the world around. We know that it happens. We know that this is a desperation is real. I even I even reflected back a little bit when my mom was sick a few uh, years ago and uh, with pancreatic cancer, and and I and I had my own little uh, mini breakdown in the back hallway here, where I was going like, "Come on, God." you know kind of anybody else but my mom right so 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 we know what this desperation feels like and e- even if you can't really identify with that this morning here's one thing that we do know that outside of a relationship with Jesus we're desperately separated from God and so we we recognize that we have come to the end of our ability to be the person that we want to be or to make this, uh, this circumstance go away. So there's response, there, dis, there are different responses to this. Part of, part of our response maybe initially is fear. I even think the people in the community in this first half of Mark 5, there's a level of fear. Like what is Jesus going to do if he continues to stay in our region? So there's this, I'm going to get away from, we, we need to get away from this. And the easiest way to get away from it is to ask Jesus to leave. So I'm, I'm afraid. A second response is humility, though. There's a realization that I'm incapable of correcting this. I'm incapable of solving this. It's not going to happen within my ability or my power. It's just not going to happen. All three of these people, the demon-possessed man, Jairus, and the woman, all find themselves on their knees before Jesus in humility. There has to come this point of realization that outside of Jesus, outside of this power, I, I, in my own strength, there's nothing that I can do. This, we've got to come to that realization. And then when we do, we can begin to seek. Okay, wh- wh- where can I, where can I find an answer? And I would suggest that probably the the next part of our response to desperation is faith. That faith drove these people to Jesus. There was an utter dependence on Jesus. Like this is this is it, I need an answer, this man can, this man can give it to me. I, I believe uh, he can do it. So they not only fully believed in Jesus, but they took action. They, they took a step. They took a risk. And, and, and perhaps today you're even at that spot. Because I would suggest faith is more than just an intellectual belief in something, it's an utter dependence on this person, Jesus. And it's going to require a change in how I live my life. There's going to be obedience that follows real faith. There's going to be a willingness to take a risk to say, you know what, I really can't do this myself. So it goes beyond an intellectual belief that Jesus and that God cares and wants to do something in my life. But it drives me to take a risk, To, to drives me to action. So that, that kind of brings me, I think, to the, to the last observation that I want to make this morning. And that is that Jesus celebrates faith. As we look at the story unfolding, uh, we see that as the woman demonstrates her faith in Jesus, he celebrates it. And says, my peace be with you. Go and be healed from your affliction. He celebrates that, that uh, faith. But there is a challenge in this story for me at least, and, and maybe there is for you too, because you look at this story and you say, well, of, of course the woman is grateful because she gets healed. And of course Jairus is grateful because his daughter gets raised from the dead. But what if Jesus what if Jesus didn't heal? Or what if God doesn't show up? What, what do I do with that? How am I supposed to respond? to that within this, this level, this desperation and this idea of faith. And I think that's a fair question. And I want to be clear and, I'm, and I speak to myself as I say this because it's a, it's a difficult thing. But Jesus, nowhere in the story and I don't think anywhere in scripture you're going to find a promise that Jesus is going to physically heal in every single instance. I would suggest that there is a promise that you will get from God exactly what you need, exactly what you need, nothing more, nothing less, exactly what you need. Jesus' focus in this story isn't on the end game of the healing of the woman or Jairus' daughter. I would suggest Jesus' focus is on the faith of these two, their their willingness to, to know that he held the answer to what they needed. And that's what he celebrates. So we can trust Jesus in our desperation. We can trust Jesus in our desperation even when his timing is not the same as our timing. And this, this, is, this is where the risk and the, the utter dependence on Jesus, this is where faith becomes very real. When we don't see the movement that we expect, we can still trust Jesus. So this morning... My encouragement and my challenge to you is this, that in your desperation, and let me be clear, it's not a matter of uh, if you are ever desperate, it's a matter of when. You're you're going to encounter desperation in, in your life. When you encounter this desperation, when you come to the end of yourself and you realize that there is nowhere to turn but to God, will you do it? Will you seek to touch Jesus? Will you, will you look for his work around you? Will you look for his power in your life? And let me just suggest, my prayer and my hope is that touch of Jesus should and could. And, I, and my prayer would be often would happen through the body of Christ around you. Through this, this faith community around you. That Jesus would show up through the people that you sit with here this morning. That as we watch people struggle with desperation and as they reach out in faith to God, that we would be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And not just to our faith community, but to the people around us in the community around us. In their desperation, as they look for an answer, can we, will we be the hands and feet of Jesus? Secondly, in your desperation, will you respond in faith? In the same way that Jesus encouraged Jairus when Jairus heard that his daughter had died, Jesus' response was, don't be afraid, just believe. Will you respond in faith to Jesus? This complete, this utter trust, stepping out in obedience, willing to take the risk this morning. And then, uh, thirdly, as a response, will we Be the presence of Jesus to those that are desperate around us? Will we be the hands and the feet of Jesus? Will we be willing to continue this restorative work that Jesus is doing, that we see him uh, doing in the New Testament? Will we be willing to continue this kind of work in the world around us? This is the mission that we've been given as a church: to be his presence in the world. I was drawn to uh, a, a passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and I wanted to share it uh, with you this morning. Uh, Paul says this to the Corinthians. He says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we may comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. If we know the peace of God this morning, if we know his comfort, if we have seen him Uh, show himself powerfully in our own desperation? Would we be willing to demonstrate and be that kind of comfort to those around us? Jesus has brought us through that so that we can in turn be that kind of comfort in the world around us. You can trust him with your life. You can trust him with your family. You can trust him in your most desperate times. And I would suggest that even... Today, in your desperation, Jesus would say to you the same thing he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. That's what he wants from you this morning. Let me pray for us. God, we're grateful as we come into your presence, as we come from circumstances that, uh, that we don't even know what's happening in the lives of those that are around us this morning. But God, we, we know that you are the answer. You have shown yourself faithful to us. And we've struggled. God, sometimes timing is, is, uh, is a tough one. Because uh, we have needs and we have a timetable and and we recognize that a lot of times uh, your timing is not the same as ours. But that's where we want to demonstrate this biblical faith, this complete dependence upon you. So this morning, help us to be people of faith just like that. This morning, I just want to say this, too. You may be a person that is desperate for Jesus Maybe your life's going pretty good, but you've never made a commitment. You've never stepped out in faith and put your faith and your trust, given control of your life to Jesus. And and this morning, that's where it starts. And it starts with a prayer that sounds like this You would just say, A, I admit, God, I admit I need you. I've come to the end of myself, I'm powerless to be the person that I want to be. I'm powerless over the circumstances in my life. And I admit that I need you in my life. B, I believe, I believe that you you hold the answer to my desperation, to to, uh, living a life that pleases you. I believe that, uh, Jesus, that you died, that you rose again so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could have a relationship with you. And live a life, live the life you intended us to live. And see that I choose today uh, to follow you. So God, that would be all of our prayer. That we we recognize that regardless of life's circumstances, we need you first and foremost. So we thank you, God, that you meet us in our desperation. That as we call out to you, uh, you hear. And that you show up. You change things. And so we want to leave believing that today. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.